Omni Experience, or what we refer to as OX, is often mistaken as simply a digital strategy with a focus on desktop and mobile. But it's much, much more than that. It's the concept of building consistent and complementary experiences across every step of the journey a customer shares with a brand. It's telling a story that meets a brand's customers in the advertising they experience, in e-commerce, in loyalty programs, and especially the experience they have in a brand's owned spaces. Whether it's brick and mortar retail, stadiums, hospitals, or any other physical space customers experience your brand, it's a valuable point in the OX ecosystem that is too often overlooked. I'm Dan Bruner. And I'm Matt Clark. And, and this, this is the, the Omni Experience, Experience Podcast. A quick note about this episode. It was recorded a few weeks ago, closer to the initial COVID lockdown, and it was recorded as a test, but we decided to post it as our pilot, even though some of the ideas are going to be slightly out of date. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I'd be just fine never hearing another coronavirus story in the news, on social media, anywhere. I'm just over it. Trust me, I hear you. Unfortunately, we do have one more COVID-19 story for the pile. But this story doesn't dig into the shortage of paper towels or the fact that our homemade masks need four layers instead of three. This story also doesn't evaluate random guesses as to when this will all blow over. Come on, it's obviously all science. No, this story is about the COVID pivots we're likely to take as consumers when we come out the other end of this, in a world of new normal. There's going to be a lot of change, and we'll take a look at some scenarios that we and others suspect will happen when they let us back out, or changes already in place that will carry on into this new normal. We're just dipping our toe in all of this, and we know you have hypotheses of your own. Send them our way at oxpod at qgravity.com. That's O-X-P-O-D at cuegravity.com, and uh, we'd love to hear what you got. Is the elbow bump here to stay? What happens to the handshake, the cornerstone of social interaction, the confirmation of agreement, the lead-in to a brug? That's a bro hug, if you're not familiar. The coronavirus has made issue of proximity, and we're going to look at a few ways this will impact how we experience brands across the spectrum. Many brands are already revealing their plans for this new normal. Some brands have been prepping for this moment without even knowing it. And all brands should be communicating the changes in how their customers will experience their brand. And the sooner they do it, the better. Today, we are talking COVID pivots, an episode topic to start, but something we'll probably speak from time to time in shorter segments as this podcast evolves. So I found this Saks Fifth Avenue article um, talking about what they're doing to um, combat coronavirus and and how they're going to be changing once we get let out. Um, one of the the first things they talk about, and I, you know, it's not a thing we need to go deep into, but the the idea of masks becoming a new apparel line or a new apparel focus. You, uh, what do you think on that? It's kind of interesting. I think, uh, to be, be honest with you, I hate wearing a mask, but I seeing it as being really important. And uh, I know we talked about it a little bit in the past and that people may or may not keep wearing them, but I do think that there is something to, if you can sort of fashion it to your personality, that might mean some additional longevity in terms of trying to stick with it and, and ride this thing out. Yeah, you think people will be more likely to wear them? I kind of... My thinking is that once we get the green light to go back to normal or this new normal, 
people are just gonna like put them by the wayside but uh that could be i mean i am really looking forward to the day where i never have to wear one again however maybe that will never be the case i don't know what that green light looks like um unlike yeah. Saks fifth avenue who has a plan for how they're going to roll this out our government has been a little muddled and mixed in terms of their messaging on what that what that's going to mean so um but it's interesting as I think there may be some some opportunity to capitalize on it and that might make it a little bit more fun. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting interesting piece of all this to see. What are your thoughts on wearing masks from the sales perspective? So from an employee perspective, whether it's associates who are selling or customer service people or if they're going to have full-time you know, staff cleaning, what is your feeling around that just from a like a, a visibility standpoint that's kind of an emotional reaction yeah that's interesting i i remember like when this first came down like probably the first two or three weeks no businesses were really wearing them yet uh like i don't know trader joe's for example and i think it was out of not wanting to scare people and then we got to a point where it's it was just like all right everyone needs to be wearing these things so I don't know. I think actually corporations will be more buttoned up when it comes to that stuff or more precautious. Uh, the individuals are the, the ones that um, make me nervous. Yeah, it seems as though the shark may have been jumped from a from a business side in terms of it not being something they want to do. I know Trader Joe's went through some messaging issues with that and trying to be a little bit trepidatious of what that was going to look like because of the way that they design their stores and the way they think about their customer experience. But um, it does seem like that we're in for a long haul when it comes to, to that side. Yeah, agreed. I think they're going to be more likely to, to latch onto that for the long haul. It's, it brings up an interesting topic about um, communicating with your customers about this new normal. Um, I think, you know, we, we were just talking about how the employees wearing face masks likely was kind of a PR related decision, whether not to wear them initially and then to wear them eventually. Um, you know, and I think along those lines, communication is going to be key coming out of all this, whether it's about your mask policy or uh, how you are going to be cleaning the stores or how frequently you're going to be cleaning these stores. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, there's some stuff in the article too about uh, how they're going to sort of approach letting people in. Are they going to do temperature checks? Are they going to do any kind of limits in terms of the number of people allowed inside the space? Um, and I think, you know, there's an opportunity at that point to kind of let people know that they're thinking about it. Um, but I think that there's some other ways that they can let people know they're thinking about it too. And I, Again, I don't know what the feeling is going to be when you walk into a place and you get your temperature checked or or there's some kind of screening process, what that's going to feel like. Um, but I think you're going to feel better knowing that the, the business is thinking about it as opposed to walking in somewhere and it feeling like a free-for-all. Um, you know, as a customer, I'm, I'm definitely, my view has changed a lot and I think I, I look forward to people really communicating heavily on um, how to set those expectations and what their expectations are um, and what that means. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too because I think Saks feels the same way. They feel like the more the more upfront you can be with this part of the process, the more uh, comfortable their customers will feel 
Um, and I couldn't agree more. I think that's going to be the biggest piece coming out of this is just consumer nerves. Um, and if they don't know what's going on, the assumption is going to be that it's not being handled properly. So making them aware of what you're doing uh, often and and early is going to be pretty key to all this, it, which brings up some interesting talking the interesting topic to discuss is uh how they're going to do that so are they going to you know are they physically going to be doing that in stores by putting up signage digital signage for that matter i mean specifying when the next cleaning will be or when it you know uh, when the last one was um i'm curious to see how they address that or how they handle that yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I haven't actually been, I know that they did a huge renovation on their flagship store in on Fifth Avenue. And I haven't been in there since that took place. I think it opened, reopened last year officially. Um, I don't know how much digital signage that they have. Uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of like the cosmetics areas and there's certain areas where there are digital signage requirements around sort of the pop-up style shop atmosphere and all the brands are sort of required to bring their own to that table. But I'm not sure that they have uh, places to display that kind of information. So it'll be interesting to see what we do. And obviously, from the standpoint of our business, we see that as being really important um, is giving yourself a sort of a, dy a dynamic look at that kind of information. It's not just, hey, we're here, we're cleaning. It's I think keeping people in mind that, you know, they may see people cleaning during business hours, that intensive cleaning is happening after business hours. And it's a really much, much more dynamic way to tell people and make them feel comfortable, I think, about what has happened and what will happen um, while they're in the space and before they come back next time. Yeah, and I think in kind of the, the way in which you fold that into your experience is going to be key. You don't want it to be uh, abrasive or or sticking out you want it to feel natural and and uh fit the environment um yeah not not an overwhelming panic kind of way i think in an, in an information way um in a in a in a way that fits your brand but also i think tells a story it, it's about the the care um not about the panic and, and you know i think um that some infrastructure will probably have to be thought of on how to effectively communicate those strategies yeah, and I think so. I mean, that's that's you know relevant for communicating with customers in store, but I think just in general, communicating early and often with your customers, period, letting them know what your game plan is now, and then as you're rolling that out and as things get updated, make sure they're in the know, make sure they understand what's being changed and how it's going to impact their experience at the store. Um, and Sachs had an interesting um thought on does it change the the way customers actually shop at their stores so do they start thinking more about um appointment shopping you know i don't i don't know that we have a label for it yet but where you essentially schedule your time slot maybe similar to like the online grocery store experience where you're put in a queue um you know, maybe it's not that responsive, but it's you schedule your three hour walkthrough, you know, um, almost like scheduling a soul cycle class, but for shopping, you know, where it's, yeah, maybe you have a subscription too. <laughs> that sounds like a good, um, a good plan for sacks. Give us a yeah. call if you uh, want to talk some more about that strategy. 
Uh, but yeah, I, that is interesting. And I hadn't, I, I personally hadn't really thought about that. So I, I definitely think, you know, there's something to that. And I don't know. I guess the space has to be compelling enough for people to want to go through the effort of shopping in person to that kind of extent. But, you know, for Saks Avenue, for that kind of business, I think there is, that does make a lot of sense. And I think, again, if it's a comfort, feeling more comfortable being able to spend some time there and actually shop in a, in a way that you've become accustomed to over the last hundred years of in-person shopping, especially in a department store, um, there may be something to that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, especially with uh, department stores and that kind of thing, uh, or retail, or sorry, uh, apparel for that matter. Um, those instances where you want to try things on, you want to see what it looks like on you in, you know, live in person. I think those experiences are going to be hard for people to give up and and f- totally flip to a digital shopping format you know so i think it's going to just have to evolve the way people do that as opposed to going away altogether it it could be interesting because i think there's a way to really leverage potential sort of a uh breaking down sort of the physical digital barriers here like we've talked about a lot not not on this podcast because this is our first episode but what we have conversations about a lot as a company is you know are there ways maybe they could use a, a, a Saks app to organize sort of their expectations of maybe what they want to try on so that things could be pulled together in a certain way. And then that scheduled appointment actually could lead them to an area where they feel a little bit more comfortable because it's maybe a little bit more closed off or it's like a dressing room where then what they need is sort of been placed for them already or it's a smaller area where they can kind of peruse through the things that they had sort of set aside and then see if the physically and emotionally those connections are real like they thought they might have been on digital and then you know then they've kind of thought through that experience and what they've done is sort of minimized the impact of the store from a design perspective but maximized again the comfort of their their clientele and getting them to to get those dynamic interactions with a physical item as opposed to just getting it home trying it on thinking it's not working boxing it back up sending it back and going through this whole process like you know are there some efficiencies there is that something that a, a company like Saks would want to consider yeah agreed i i, I mean i think in that for that sector, especially, it's going to be a evolution as opposed to a complete shift. But uh, what about like uh, I don't know, consumer electronics or something? You think it's going to be more of a shift to fully digital, or uh, you think they're going to still have kind of the showroom setup? I don't. Know. It's kind of interesting. I mean, speaking of consumer electronics, you look at what Best Buy has done to compete with Amazon they were in a place where they were really, really far behind. Um, you know, their biggest competitor six or seven years, eight years ago was Circuit City. Maybe it's even no longer now. I'm older than I think. But uh, Circuit City has gone out of business. And I think Best Buy has really pivoted to thinking about their stores as stores and fulfillment centers. And I think that that model makes a lot of sense. Maybe that no longer means they have to have 25, 30,000 square foot stores. Or maybe the 25, 30,000 square foot of them don't all need to be showroom spaces either. So I do, you know, I do think that that's there. I don't know. When's the last time you went to Best Buy to like figure out what TV you wanted um, out of a hundred options? 
yeah, definitely doing a little bit of online research before I head over there. But uh, I, per- I personally think it's fun to check all that stuff out. But um, I don't know. Again, I mean, I, I agree. I think the is do they need that much space? Does does that piece of it change? Do they start thinking about completely uh, eliminating inventory? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting evolution options for that category, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, for a brand like Best Buy, it's hard to say because they do a good job in their stores, but they also can fulfill things quicker. Um, if you order something, it doesn't have to ship from a warehouse on the other side of the country. It can ship from a local store. So I think that's a really nice piece from them. They've been more price co- conscious and ma- price matching in the last few years. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I ha- personally haven't gone to look at a TV in person in half a decade, but I've bought... I don't know, six or seven of them for different projects, for testing, for my house, for the office. And I think I've only ever bought one of them in person because it was five minutes away and I could go pick it up. Mostly stuff is getting fulfilled from UPS or FedEx. So I think, I think that's interesting. Convenience. Get it now. Yeah. And, and, and what is the difference? I mean, there isn't a huge difference from brands and I think people are concerned with the size and what, apps they can get on their screen and i don't know maybe that's a simplistic view because i'm a nerd and i kind of know what i'm getting into before i start but you know i think that there's really something to think about about at least making the showroom smaller if not making the entire facility itself smaller and trying to do more regional or metro style fulfillment like an amazon fulfillment center with prime now kind of same day or next day delivery um, through your own channels and then you know minimizing that showroom impact i mean in a lot of ways that's that's what tesla's done with the car dealership you see a couple of the variations that they have and then the rest is done digitally and then you still have to purchase the car online even if you walk into a showroom so so yeah i yeah. think that there is a lot of opportunity there and that's not something that's going to be available in the same way to an, an apparel company um yeah, I mean, although I, I did see a recent example with Canada Goose, um, that was pretty cool. They and again, I I don't know that it's like a shift in their overall model, but it, they did a pretty cool uh, experience store in I believe it was Toronto, um, where it was zero inventory, just purely focused on experiencing the product and simulating the environment where you'd actually be using the product. Um, so pretty pretty cool setup they have there. Of course, you can order at the end and have it delivered to you. But uh, you could e- I I believe that you could even try a few things on. But um, the main focus was experience and experiencing the brand and the product, um, and kind of attempting to recreate the conditions that you would actually be using it in. So it's a pretty novel and early approach to to own retail spaces. Um, we're starting to see it more. So it'll be I super curious to see how that builds that is kind of interesting i I saw that as well and i think i've seen other brand exhibitions where they were focused on really telling the brand story and engaging in you know what that means and i've seen pop-up shops but i've never seen um, a brand exhibition that sort of also was a somewhat of a pop-up shop where you really could engage at the end with the products but it like you said it was like try on and then try in for your size and style and then you know most of the fulfillment or all the fulfillment from from what i could see was done 
via, you know, uh, shipping days later. But I think it was an interesting to connect the two and a really interesting way to connect sort of a physical and digital experience um, to, to talk about the brand and really feel engaged with with the identity that the brand has created. And it was a really cool space. We, I think we might want to link link to that article that we've seen in some show notes so people can get an idea of what that looks like and uh, might be another topic worth exploring longer at a later date. Uh, I'm wondering, going back to Saks a little bit, um, I'm wondering if you foresee any other kind of remote service opportunities um, with that uh, department store apparel retail setup. I think I, I don't, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm probably not their target demographic. We should maybe get uh, one of our uh, ladies on the show to talk about that or another one of our colleagues on the show that might be more of a everyday consumer. But I do think that from a, I don't know, maybe it's not as much fulfillment, but I think that there's a lot of opportunities around uh, building more pop-up style stores in more areas, I think, to drive people into their spaces. However, focusing on the COVID pivot, I I don't know exactly what that means for their business um, in terms of that, if that that really makes sense right now, or they really want to focus on trying to deliver people the best experience that they can outside of their store and minimizing the traffic inside of the store, focusing on maybe alternatives where they could use FaceTime or Zoom or some kind of app-based video conferencing solution that they could get stylists connected with their customers um, to make them feel like they're really connected and then, you know, fulfilling through home or fulfilling to a more intimate space inside the store. So it's not as much of a perusal. I think that there's probably something in that direction that makes sense for them right now um, to utilize technology like everyone is, uh, like we are staring at each other on a Zoom call right now um, to connect back to their customers. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, as they really try to focus on um, making their customers feel uh, comfortable, there's going to be a fine balance between moving experiences or uh, moving services that are currently in store to a fully like remote video conferencing model or something like that. Um, of course, they have a retail model. So they want to be bringing customers into the store. Um, you know, so where's that line? I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but, um, it's interesting. It's something that they're going to have to spend some time figuring out. And I, and I think in, in terms of what we're talking about now, the COVID pivot, this idea is there's sort of short-term solutions and long-term solutions. And I see them as a brand that should, you know, be thinking about the long-term solutions too, which are a little differential to those technology pieces, but, people are going to want to, when they feel comfortable, whenever that time comes, um, get back to their version of normal. And I think it's gonna be really important that the store experience uh, feels probably comfortable to them um, when when we all feel ready for this. So I think that's really important to their strategy in the short term is looking at how they're gonna use the technology. But I think in the long term, Saks is a, customer service oriented business that can lean on technology, but it's never going to completely replace their business model. And I think being able to 
go from rack to rack, from floor to floor, and really enjoy the entire store as it's designed, as the story that it's told, as the curated brands are laid out, is going to be a, a long-term piece of their business that that will be something that people feel comfortable doing when things quote-unquote return to normal, and I think something they really need to focus on, uh, as well as thinking about those short-term solutions. Absolutely. I, it was interesting in that article, they, uh, their, their president, Mark Metrick, had an interesting way of thinking about this, this, what we've been saying, referring to as new normal. He calls it the next normal, which is, I like that. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just what it, it will be the normal. So it's, it's what that shapes up to be is, um, is, is going to be what we need to ponder. I think that's good. We might have to steal that. Yeah. The next normal, the the new normal is going to be the short term. The next normal might be once it's the long term <laughs> version of yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, and and hopefully things will be. You know, it'll be a middle ground between feeling a little more relaxed as well as making sure that you know everyone is in a, in the safe position. For so, sure, and I think uh, you know as knows? they kind of debate where that line is between in-store services and shifting some to virtual um they're gonna have to give a lot of thought to what's going on in the store and how the current um customer interaction with salespeople, with the final purchase process and all these things is they're gonna have to give a lot of thought to how that all works one big part of that is um paying with a credit card right currently you you know you you either stick in your chip or you swipe a card you often have to put in a pin if you're using a you know a debit card um so what uh you know one thing they'd start talking about and they didn't get any specifics other than really kind of looking at it but uh the topic of contactless card readers um payments where you don't have or just contact payment contactless payment in general um so that's interesting. I think a lot of people are going to have to be giving some thought to that. And and the U.S. as a whole, I mean, we've been pretty adverse to shifting to contactless payments. I mean, we're, we seem to be pretty stuck on uh, swiping a card and getting a paper receipt. Um, so I wonder if this will be the tipping point to get us there. Uh, you know, maybe something similar to Europe where you just kind of tap your card and go. Although, again, you, you still have to touch your card to a, a reader. Um but yeah, what do you, uh, you, you foresee anything on that front? So I think it's interesting because we are pretty far behind uh, in that world uh, in terms of contactless technology. And I think obviously Apple has pushed the game pretty significantly with their technology around Apple Pay. There's other benefits to using it regarding security. Um, so things like it generates a unique 16-digit number for each transaction. So even if someone were to hack the data from a, from from your favorite retailer, from Saks, whatever, it's not necessarily putting you in jeopardy. So that's kind of great. Um, but again, it's a little bit clunky. Like you have to take out your phone. So if you're at the grocery store, maybe you're wearing gloves. So that's kind of awkward. If you're wearing a mask, Face ID is you know the latest and greatest in terms of sort of security features around your phone and quick open uh, technology face ID from Apple doesn't work because your, your face doesn't look the same with the mask as it does without. One thing I haven't tried is can you 
register your face with the mask and see if that will actually do that. Or maybe there's an update potential there for Apple to say, hey, uh, I would like my face in a mask to be one of the options that unlocks my phone. Um, Touch ID, again, I don't know how well it's going to work with gloves on. It's a little bit clunky. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity here in the Apple Watch and the technology, the NFC technology there, because it's a double tap, bring up your payment. You can hover over the over the payment terminal as you could with your phone. You don't necessarily have to touch it, but it's a lot quicker, a lot cleaner, and a much nicer version of that. But again, you're still into the world where you need to take a paper receipt if if you need to take a paper receipt. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for businesses there to look at email and loyalty programs and baking that in so that you can get that information elsewhere. Um, and and we've seen some other brands take you know, take a tenth of that. I think uh, you had mentioned you saw something from Wells Fargo. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, uh, it, essentially, they're giving a $5 credit to customers who um, start using like Apple Pay or another uh, mobile payment uh, s- system, I guess, uh, to log into their their banking accounts at an ATM to withdraw cash. Um, again, you still have to, you know, punching a, a pin number so there's work to be done there but um it seems to be a, a step in the right direction i like the fact that they're trying to entice people to to adopt it which is good i think um uh, regardless of where we net out with this and contactless payment we're gonna have to give people a little nudge to to adopt it and, and take it on um it's interesting i saw this uh i also saw this uh study from the futurist group uh, who started looking at um, U.S. consumers' interest in contactless payment, and it's we, there's still a lot of room to grow on this. But essentially, um, they're uh, in their most recent um, uh, survey, they found that 38% of consumers now see contactless payment as a basic need or feature of payments, uh, which is up 30 from 30% last year. So uh, 38% is not the majority of people out there, but you know, again, it's, it's growing up almost 10% increase year over year is, um, movement in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that, that's probably a, uh, and maybe it's not the best marketing strategy as an exploitation, but it is an important strategy maybe for Apple and Samsung and some of these other companies who are developing these technologies, um, as everything sort of lives in our mobile phones these days, to promote from a, you know, from a per- perspective of security and a perspective of your personal security um, being safe from having to interact with things. I think it's interesting. I actually used, I don't have Wells Fargo, I have Bank of America, but I used my Apple Watch to access the ATM today because I needed to get a little bit of cash just to make sure that I had some in my wallet. And I did wear gloves, so I used gloves to interact with the touching, typing in my pin, but I only put one glove on, and then I was able to sort of work with my watch and not actually touch the, the thing with my watch. So I had one hand that was like my germs and one glove that was like the shared germs, and I think it kind of worked out, but it is sort of a really strange experience to be thinking about that, and, you know, I don't know that I have enough gloves to be doing that for the next two years or whatever this is going to take to, to feel comfortable and feel safe again interacting oh with God, them. I hope it's not two years. <laughs> so do I. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's like that. It's where's the line between, uh, 
you know, security and maintaining security and reducing contact, right? Like we're probably going to have to have some kind of technology shifts to erase that line. But at the moment, it's it's a little bit of a trade off, it feels like to, uh, you know, go all all in on one one of those pieces of it. Yeah, agreed. It's an amazing time to be alive in that we have this technology that we can use to kind of replace these everyday things. Um, and and I think, you know, 10 years ago, we w- would have been in a completely different situation. So I think we're fortunate that we, we can start to think through these things and actually make an effort to make them um, as safe and useful as possible um, for people. So I, I am excited about that. And I'm a nerd, so I've always really dug the technology side of things. But uh it's a good time to be alive sometimes. Yeah, I mean, on the on the tech front, I think there is a, actually, well, a, at least an attempt to go fully contactless. Although I guess, well, let me, so Amazon Go, we've all heard of it. Um, maybe you've seen a video on it or actually been to one of the stores. Um, you know, you where you literally go in, grab what you want and walk out um, because you have an account set up. Um, it charges you, it follows you in the store, knows what you, you, you removed and charges you after the fact. So that alleviates, uh, um, alleviates the payment contact piece of it all. Again, I mean, you'd still have to grab your product that other people may have grabbed as well. So, you know, there's, is, I don't know if there's a, you know, a perfect solution to all of this, but there is technology being used to minimize it at least on one side or the other, whether payment or actually securing product. Yeah, it. I, there's definitely attempts being made. We're kind of like in a middle ground in terms of that. I think Amazon Go is interesting. I, I got to visit one in Seattle um, and you still do need to take out your phone and swipe a QR code, but it's pretty much contactless from that point on. Um, you don't need to touch anything. You just scan the QR code to like a, you know, like a grocery store style scanner like you'd use at the airport kind of thing as well um as you walk sort of as you walk into a turn yeah as a turnstile and from then on you really don't need to talk to anybody you can kind of stay away from people they're they're smaller spaces so it's going to depend on how busy it is but you can kind of grab what you need you maybe wear a pair of gloves or a single glove um, and then you walk out and then it, it follows up with all that information what you bought how much you spent so you get your receipt and you also get like how long were you there they're trying to make people feel like uh, it's a competition to see who can get in and out the fastest, which is kind of an interesting strategy. A little gamification. Yeah, it's good. There. It's good. But it, and it, it's probably nice to know that you're not hanging out at a store during times like this. I, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, and I think... I, Does it tell you where you were hanging out? Like you've been standing in front of the candy section for... 37 minutes. You know, I don't recall that, but I was <laughs> trying to figure out if I wanted to get the Milky Way or the Snickers and... You know, I did, <laughs> I did linger, but no, it, it, it just kind of tells you overall how long you're in the store. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure Amazon has that information about how long you're lingering in certain sections. Right. Um, this guy really wants a Snickers. <laughs> he walked away with nothing, but he really stared at the Snickers bar for 15 minutes. Um, yeah, well, that's just me. Maybe not everyone has that problem. Uh, well, I'm, at least there's no paper receipts involved. Correct. You know, we're, baby steps yeah and you can't even open my phone because i'm wearing a mask so i don't even know what's in there anyway uh so no one will ever know that's interesting i wonder if the mask thing do you think that messes with the like your 
your customer profile when you're in the store as far as tracking and all that? I'm not sure. They've been, you know, they don't necessarily disclose how all that technology works. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much facial recognition. I, I believe most of the cameras are shooting from top down to track you. And they're more interested in what, in knowing that you are following you around and what you're picking up. So, But I don't know. That That's interesting. Maybe I haven't seen anything around that. I might have to dig into that. Um, but Amazon Go is a great experience. I believe they have them in Seattle and New York. There may be one or two other locations. Um, but I w- want to make sure that we put in our show notes um, a video from Sam Sheffer. He's a great follow on YouTube. But he goes into one of the Amazon Go stores, one of the newer stores that more recently opened in New York City. Um, and kind of walks through what it's like to shop in there, how you scan to get in, what it's like when you walk out, and what what that information looks like on your phone. So we'll make sure to drop that too. And give that a watch. Yeah, well, I think um, you know we talked about a lot of things here. There's a lot of things we haven't discussed. Um, if there's something that you want uh, that you think is really interesting that you want to flag for us, by all means, uh, get in touch. Um, but I just wanted to leave you guys with. Um, just one last insight. It's from Bain and Co. And uh, they just make the point that um, you really need to determine how to serve your customers' raw needs. So it's going to become a lot more um, consumer focused, I think, which is a good thing overall for these these um, these brands. They're going to have to really hone in on what makes their customers comfortable uh, and what their core wants and needs are. So. Uh, I'm super excited to see where we net out after all this and see what changes actually come Agreed. Down. I think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of people to do a really good job. And uh, we're really excited about about what that's going to look like and, and, and keeping that conversation going. I know we kind of mentioned that the COVID pivot is sort of a topic for today, but I think in these, in these times, this is going to be a recurring theme for us. And um, it's going to change the way people think about retail uh, if not forever, for a very long time to come. So yeah, I'm looking forward to following that and looking forward to hearing about what other people think as well as um, any good examples you might have seen from some of your local restaurants, retailers, or any anybody that you've seen, especially, I mean, we spend our time in the U.S., so there may be some great opportunities elsewhere. Um, so give us a shout. Uh, that's OXPod at QGravity.com, OXPod. P-O-D at C-U-E, gravity.com. 